Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Revision Path is looking for staff writers for our blog. We're going to have some new positions added in December, so check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you're enjoying the day off, if you have the day off where you are, and that you're spending it with friends and family, eating a lot of good food, spending some quality time, watching the game, whatever you want to do. Uh, before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, who I'm thankful for, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. If you need a new domain for your next project, check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code GIVETHANKS and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2 per item. They give away a selection of free goods every week, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 20% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. Uh, not a difference from Monday, still at 27 patrons right now for a combined total of $192 per month. Again, a huge thanks to everyone who has already pledged their support and appreciation for the show through Patreon. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path, which would be awesome, you'll get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, free Revision Path swag. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 per month. Now for this week's interview, I talk with Saran Yitbarik. Saran is the founder of Code Newbie. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am Saran Yitbarik. There's a couple of things that I do. My day job is I work at Microsoft. I'm a program manager there. We just launched our Tech Jobs Academy program, a technical training program serving unemployed and underemployed New Yorkers with less than a four-year degree. And so I've been running that program in partnership with the New York City Tech Talent Pipeline and CUNY City Tech Campus. At night and on weekends, I am the founder of Code Newbie, and it's an amazing organization that we've built up in the last two years where we serve people who are programmers and people learning to code. And so we have a weekly podcast that we've been doing for the last year. We have our Slack channel. We have our weekly Twitter chats and a bunch of different things that we're doing to get people to learn about code and to stay excited about becoming programmers. I definitely want to talk about Code Doobies because you've built this amazing, vibrant community behind it. But I want to talk about the work that you're doing at Microsoft. Sure. So the Tech Jobs Academy, how did that 
program come into play? Yeah, so Microsoft has been doing a lot of education stuff for a number of years. And one of the really big initiatives that we started a couple years ago was called MSSA, which is a program targeted towards training up our military as they come back into civilian life. So getting them really in-demand skills and preparing them to enter the the workforce in these technical roles. And it's a four-month full-time program that we've done. And we've done it across different bases across the U.S., graduated a couple hundred veterans, and it's worked out really, really well. And so in the last year, you know, there's been the Tech Hire Initiative, which is a, you know, an initiative from the White House to get all of America or as many people as possible into the tech ecosystem. And locally, you know, in New York City, there's been the Tech Talent Pipeline, which is a $10 million initiative to get people trained up in these technical skills. And so Microsoft looked at these two initiatives and we said, we have these assets, these really great resources. We have our own program. Let's see if we can contribute to this solution by providing what we have. And so we're putting together this four-month program, very similar model as the MSSA, but we're targeting unemployed and underemployed New Yorkers. So the idea is to create these pathways into the tech ecosystem, into these really secure and demand jobs for people who may not traditionally have access to them. How's the program going so far? So we are in the application process right now. And so it'll start officially on January 4th. Until then, we've been doing a lot of community outreach and reaching out to different organizations and people who work with this demographic. And in that process, we've gotten to learn a lot about the demographic as well. So it's been a, a huge learning opportunity for me personally. It's been great. That's such a novel idea. And it's also good when you see the private sector working with city government Mm -hmm. in that way. Do you think that, I guess, given the success of the program in New York City, it will branch out to other cities in the country? We'd like for that to happen. And right now we're working with campus for our community college system in Brooklyn. And so one of the things we've talked about is doing that across different campuses still within New York City. And depending on how that goes, you know, we'll branch out to, to the U.S. if we can. But right now our focus is on getting that one pilot program and making sure that it's really, really good. So as a program manager at Microsoft, walk me through like a typical day for you. Oh, man. It's not going to sound that exciting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A typical day for me. I probably spend maybe 30% of my time in meetings, mostly on the phone, and then the rest of the time in emails. So it's a huge communication job. That's really what it is. It's all about, you know, Mm. getting to know a lot of the stakeholders and getting to know their motivations and their goals and their constraints and their values, you know, aligning them to our values and constraints and goals and making sure that, you know, no matter what we do, we're still prioritizing the students, right? The participants of the program. And it's just Mm. been a lot of just relationship management and getting things done. You know, a lot of my job is around timelines and deadlines and making sure that all these tiny little details are done in a timely manner to make sure everything is moving along. So it's a lot of talking and a lot of typing. Well, I guess no coding, right? So the great thing about my team is I'm part of the tech and civic engagement team. And it's a a really small team in New York City. It's about five of us right now. And so with such a small team, you get to do a lot of different stuff. So my primary project is Tech Jobs Academy, but I also get to do some side projects and prototyping around different civic tech tools that we're building. So I spend maybe 20% of my time getting to just do straight coding and keep up on those skills too. Nice, nice. 
Yeah. You know, as I was doing research and everything for the interview, I saw that you had a number of different jobs, most <laughs> of which really don't have anything to do with technology. And we're bringing this around to, to code newbies eventually, but <laughs> you've been a teacher, you've been a journalist, you've been a research fellow in biochem. How do you think those positions have helped prepare you for the work that you're doing now? Oh, that's such a good question. I think they've helped so much. You know, when I think back to my biochemistry days when I was a research fellow, it taught me how to break down a problem. It really taught me how to think about things very systematically. For that job, I had to read these incredibly long, complex biochemistry research papers and understand them and take the lessons learned and the procedures and apply them to, you know, what we were doing in the lab. And it was just so much reading comprehension and analysis and, you know, making little connections in a very, very academic, very, very detail-oriented way. And so, you know, right, a big part of the job that I did not expect is that I have to review a lot of legal documents. And that biochemistry experience has come in handy when I'm reviewing, you know, NDAs and co-marketing agreements mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I've been very, very surprised at how much of these past skills have played a role in this program. Another great example is when I was in high school and college, I did, you know, journalism, as you mentioned, and I did a lot of writing and editing, but also a lot of layout and design work as well. And so, you know, I designed our techjobsacademy.com website. I designed all of our flyers and our one sheets and all of our assets. And a lot of the things that if I didn't have those skills developed, you know, since I was in 10th grade, they probably would have had to hire a designer to do a lot of the work that I can do. So it's been incredibly helpful to get to pull from all these little experiences and all these skills in a role that really leverages the full breadth of who I am. When did your big sort of aha moment come as it relates to programming? Because you know, you've had these other jobs before and then now you're working with Microsoft and also you're doing this work with Code Newbies. When did the programming bug hit you? I think it hit me, I think there were two times where it hit me. The first one was not so much the programming bug, but more of the technology bug. And that was when I was at Discover Magazine and I was reading the Steve Jobs book. And when I read that book, to me, you know, I didn't know what coding was. I didn't know what apps were, apart from what was on my phone. I didn't know about building them. I didn't really know anything about design from a, a tech perspective. And when I read this book, you know, here's this guy who was generally not a nice person, but he was very artistic <laughs> and he was a storyteller and designer and all these things that I could relate to having had, you know, more of a journalism background. And so when I read that book, I thought, huh, I need to go look at this tech thing. I need to figure out what this is about. And so that was my first big aha moment. The second one came two years after that when I was working at a startup and I was working with an outsourced dev team who was doing just a terrible job with the product that I was managing. And, you know, I was managing their dev team, you know, from like three layers away, you know, where I was talking to the PM who there was a, you know, senior engineer and that senior engineer was overseeing other devs. And it was just, you know, a huge game of telephone every single time we talked. And because I wasn't a developer, I wasn't a coder, I didn't understand how products worked. I had a, a really hard time getting what I needed done and getting it done in a timely manner. And so for two years, you know, up to that point, I thought to myself, do I want to be a developer? I feel like it'd be interesting. I think I would like it. And working with that team got me so frustrated and so angry at the inability to do anything about the problems I was seeing that that was my final 
push into, you know what, I need to just learn about this thing. So those are my two moments. Is that where the genesis for Code Newbies came from? Sort of. So at that startup, you know, I decided to quit that job. I spent three months learning to code on my own. I applied to a programming boot camp, got accepted and did that for three months. And to me, there was such a big difference between learning on my own in my apartment, coding from tutorials and books for 12 hours a day, and then being in a classroom and having a group of people who were just as frustrated as I was and just as excited as I was. And what I feel like I paid for in that programming boot camp was, you know, I had a great, an amazing instructor, you know, great curriculum, but the real value was the community. It was just the people that I got from there. And it made it so much easier to go through that process and develop as a programmer when you could do it with other people. And it was that realization that, you know, I basically paid 11,000 bucks and spent three months without a salary learning to code. And that was how I got my community. And that's a very high price to pay for a community. And so that was the, the start of Code Newbie. It was my way of helping other people who were going down that road and, you know, going through that journey. It was my way of helping them find each other so we can get through it together. And you've managed to build, you know, like I said before, an amazing, amazing, vibrant, active community around the site, around the podcast as well. Did the podcast and the site kind of start at the same time? So we did the Twitter chat was the first thing. We did the Twitter chat every Wednesday okay. night mm -hmm, for yeah. one hour. And we did that for maybe 10 months before the website came around. And then about a year after the Twitter chat was when we started the podcast. Okay. And the podcast is, is doing great from what I can see. Thank you. What have you really learned since starting Code Newbies and really building this community around what you do? Oh, man, I've learned a lot. I've learned, and, and this to me is probably the most comforting thing that I've learned is that if you are really, really positive and you enforce positivity, positive people will gravitate towards you. And then you just have a really, really happy community. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, how do you get the Code Newbie community to be so welcoming and so inclusive and so open? And it's because, you know, we start every Twitter chat with some rules. You know, we say, if, if you want to come talk to us, you have to be nice and you have to be supportive and you have to be honest. You know, we're very firm about that. And when I'm on the Code Newbie account, you know, I, I mostly run that account myself and our community manager, Christina Marilla, who's just absolutely amazing. And when we tweet from that account, we are your biggest cheerleaders. We will celebrate all of your smallest wins. We will cry with you. We'll high five you. You know, we are there for you in, you know, in the biggest way. And when we keep doing that consistently, I think you start to build trust with your community and you start building a relationship with people and people tell you things and they want to give back and they give back their love and their, and their strength and their happiness and their support back to you. And then you end up with a group of people who all are there because they feel supported and because they want to support others. So I'm really glad that you mentioned about being positive because especially through Twitter, because one thing that I really notice on Twitter, not so much through Facebook, but mostly on Twitter is there's usually a lot of anger mm. surrounding, I guess, the tech community on Twitter, yeah. if that makes any sense. There's, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's In certain pockets, there's certainly <clears throat> that same level of positivity and, and, you know, celebration that you mentioned that comes through from Code Newbies. But particularly when it comes around certain topics dealing with diversity and the various isms that pervade 
the tech community. It is very nasty at times. And it makes me wonder if people that want to get into this industry see this and if that's the kind of thing that keeps them away is the fact that it seems to be such a, I don't know, like there's that negative, do you know what I mean? This sort of negativity Mm -hmm. behind the things that happen as opposed to just focusing on the positive things. And maybe that sounds a little kumbaya-ish or something like that, (laughs) but I really like that notion of just kind of focusing on doing the work Mm -hmm. and staying positive, like nose in the, I don't want to say nose in the books, but like keeping your head to the grindstone. I'm mixing my, my metaphors <laughs> here anyway. But you know what yeah. I mean? Just keeping forward and doing what it is that you have to do and not really harping on, I guess, these other things that not the, that you can't necessarily control. The one thing you can control is how you feel about, I guess, the situation, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, when I first decided that I wanted to be a programmer and I was studying on my own, I was terrified of the tech industry. I was absolutely terrified. I mean, I remember... When I went to my first tech conference, I I brought my husband with me and I was like, okay, you need to come with me for protection. I've heard some terrible (laughs) things. I don't know what's going to go down. You know, I made him come with me and nothing happened. It was, I had an amazing time. But yeah, I mean, I think that, I don't want to sound like I'm disqualifying or dismissing any of the negatives of the tech industry because we definitely have a lot to work on. But just the volume of the negativity compared to the good things that that do happen and and the positives of it for me was a huge deterrent in the very beginning and just absolutely terrified me. I think that what helped me see a more balanced view of the tech industry was just developing and cultivating my own personal network. Mm -hmm. One thing I was very happy to find is that, you know, on Twitter, I'm incredibly vocal about my journey. I remember a few years ago when I was first learning CSS, you know, I would tweet, you know, I just made the background yellow, you know, no matter how small it was, I tweeted about it. And people responded and people were incredibly encouraging and, you know, people reached out to me to support me in my journey. And so by being very loud and by, you know, I have no problems cold emailing people, I'll cold tweet you. I have no shame. If I want to talk to you, I'll find a way. And Mm -hmm. by doing that consistently, I built my own little support group. I built my own little system. And in doing that, it gave me a much better view, a much more balanced view of, yes, there are people in this industry who are not very nice for whatever reason, but there are also a lot of people who are willing to help and a lot of people who really do genuinely care. And I try to find the people who care and I try to care back. And in that way, you know, I kind of, I get to shield myself from a lot of the the bull crap that I would rather not deal with. That's good. That's good. That's so funny. I, I sort of, I always joke that I was like, if I were angrier on Twitter, <laughs> I would probably get so many more listens and views. <laughs> oh my goodness. But I'm like, no, I just yep. take the high road. I focus on getting these episodes out and talking to people and just moving mm-hmm. forward on that clip. So speaking of tech conferences, you've spoken at conferences around the world. I even watched a few of your talks when I was getting prepared for this interview. What has your typical tech conference experience been like? It's been interesting. So most of the conferences I've gone to, I've also spoke at. So I don't, I generally don't get to enjoy the conferences when I'm speaking. I'm usually incredibly, incredibly painfully nervous up until the moment that I speak. So when I get to speak first, it's great because I get to get it over with and you know, I get to <laughs> enjoy everything else. But if I'm speaking, I think it was when I spoke at MixitConf in France, I was the closing keynote. And I think I was just like in bed sick the day before. Like I couldn't even get it out of bed. Oh, Yeah. And I think I was also like jet lagged and all that. But I was just so like I just couldn't, you know, enjoy it. 
but overall it's been pretty pretty good everyone has been incredibly kind and welcoming i mean i personally have not had any issues um in different environments it's definitely a little lonely i'm almost always the only woman of color especially when i was in in europe definitely the only woman of color and so you know you feel that you feel a little bit like an outsider in most situations but apart from that, I'm very lucky that it hasn't been other people making me feel like I don't belong. It's more of just mm. noticing that you don't look like everyone else. But I got you. I'm sure they listen to code newbies in Europe, though, right? They, knew about <laughs> they learned about it after I talked. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about about conferences, and I've told this to people before that have been interested just kind of in speaking, is they feel that they have to be like a super expert level in order to get up on stage and talk about something, not realizing that expertise is relative to the audience. So you may be an expert on something that someone in the audience did not even know about. As long as you're able to get up there and talk about it and present it in a way that is very confident and very knowledgeable, that can sort of boost your credibility and boost your confidence Mm -hmm. when you're speaking. And you said like when it comes time for you to speak, you just get like really nervous before you go on stage. Yes. Yeah, I think there was exactly one conference, one talk that I gave at Bath Ruby in, in the UK, and it was the only talk where I wasn't nervous. And I don't know why I wasn't nervous that one time. I think it's because the audience laughed at my first joke, and I was like, all right, I'm good. But every other time, it's been it's been pretty nerve-wracking. To your point about being an expert, I think that's such a, a great point to bring up. I think the best speaking advice that I got was from Vanessa Hurst, who started Girl Develop It. And she told me that you don't have to be an expert. You just need to find the topic that you want to be an expert in. And so, Mm. you know, what she told me was that she finds topics that she really wants to get into and dig deep into and learn about. And she uses the talk as an excuse to do a ton of research and level up and become an expert in that talk. And that to me just, you know, opened up my world of, you know, the world of possibilities of the things I could talk about. The other really big tool that I've used is when I speak, I don't speak as an expert, I, you know, I don't say these are the best practices and these are the things that you should do. I'm very specific about speaking from experience. And so mm-hmm. I'll say, you know, this is my story. This is what I found to be helpful. Try it out. See if it works for you. And so I think that framing it from the perspective of these are my experiences. These are, you know, this is my journey. This is how I've approached this topic. I think that really, really helps because you are the expert of your own experience. No one can tell you how you experienced it. And so I think that for people who might be a little bit shy and who don't quite feel like they're at the point where they can speak at an expert level, I think that focusing on your own journey as the the core, right, the, the main narrative of your talk, I think that really helps with that. And people love stories. They love that kind oh, of yeah. hero's journey mm-hmm. when it comes to, to presentations and things like that. Definitely. So that's really good advice. You're you are the expert of your experience. I like that. That's good. I like <laughs> Thank that. You. So let's get a little bit techy here. I know that you, of course, work with Code Newbies. You've looked at code bases and things like that. What is your current programming stack like? Sure. So my, so I'm a Rails developer, primarily, you know, Ruby, Rails, uh, JavaScript a little bit. Yeah, that's mostly it. Okay. 
for people that are looking to get into web development, are those languages that you would recommend they sort of start out with? Yeah, I really, really like Ruby. Um, Ruby is you know, the main language that I, I code in, and I really like it. It's very, very friendly. It's very, very readable. You know, if you are not a developer and I showed you some Ruby, you could probably figure out what it means, which I think is really, really nice. You know, when I was picking what language to learn, it was between Python and Ruby for me, and I picked Ruby because I felt like it had a slightly larger community. And I think mm -hmm. that when you're learning to code, having a really, really solid community is really important because that's where you're going to find your mentors and your teachers, you know, whether it's formal or informal, that's where you get the tutorials and, and all that stuff. So whatever language you do pick, you know, try to pick one that has a really, really great community around it so that you know you have a support system when you need it. Yeah, Ruby's got a, a really supportive community. One of my best friends from college, he teaches now, he's a, a assistant professor of computer science at uh, the Ohio State University. Mm -hmm. And he loves Ruby so much, he named his first daughter Ruby. <laughs> so wow. I got to check Ruby That's out. Awesome. What's kind of the best advice that you've been given regarding what you do, whether it's with code newbies, whether it's your work with Microsoft, just kind of, I guess, overall general career advice. Oh, I love this question. So this is Vanessa Hurst again. I swear she tells me just the best stuff. <laughs> but I think that, and I don't even think she meant this as career advice. She was just kind of talking, but I, I put it in my pocket. She said, I don't believe in stepping stones. And I was like, oh my God. And, you know, we were, it was in the context of talks and I was asking her and I was writing a, a proposal for my very first talk, which ended up getting accepted. Um, did not expect that to happen, but it did. And I'm very glad it did. But, nice. you know, yeah. And I was talking to her and I said, you know, should I start with, because it was RailsConf, which is, you know, the biggest conference for Rails developers. And so I said, you know, I feel like I should start with meetups first, you know, and do like local conferences and smaller things. And then maybe, you know, in a year, work my way up to a big conference like this. And she just looked at me and she goes, I don't believe in stepping stones. If you want the big conference, then you propose a talk for the big conference. And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and that to me, has, <laughs> and that to me has been, you know, like my, my compass for everything that I do. You know, I don't, if I want the big job, I'll go for the big job. If I want the big salary, I'll ask for the big salary. If I want, you know, the big gig, then I go for the big gig. And just kind of, saying to myself, like, no stepping stones. If you want the thing, then you go for the thing that you want. And that's been just the best advice that I've ever gotten. What motivates you? I mean, you're doing this amazing work through Microsoft. Of course, you're doing this amazing work with Code Newbies. What keeps you going? Like, what sort of fuels your fire? Okay, I'm gonna give you a, a very personal answer to this. Okay. And I didn't really, I didn't really understand this about myself until until recently, I was having a, a very emotional conversation with my husband. And that's when I was like, huh, I just learned something about myself today. I think what fuels me is, you know, I'm an immigrant. I'm a child of immigrants. I came to this country from the from Ethiopia when I was almost three years old. And when I was in middle school and high school, I was in a magnet program. And I always felt like an outsider. One, because, you know, I was a, a person of color. And, and I think there were maybe three others in a class of 70. But also because as an immigrant, my parents didn't know a lot about the college system and about opportunities and extracurriculars and a lot of the things that my classmates knew. And I didn't know what I didn't know until it was mm -hmm. too late, you know, until we'd gotten all our acceptance letters and I'm finding out like, oh, you had a tutor for your SATs? That's a thing? 
you know, until yeah. I found out that, oh, PSATs are actually important and they're not just the practice SAT and I should have studied for that. You know, oh, you, you ran track and you got a scholarship for that. that's a thing. You know, there were just so many things that I didn't know about. And yeah. I was so angry. I was so angry that I felt like I had all this potential and I could have done so much more with my high school and, you know, and, you know, what college I got into had I only known, like if I'd only known about those opportunities. So you were like, you were angry at yourself for that? No, I was just angry in general. You know, I couldn't, okay. I couldn't blame my parents because, you know, obviously they didn't know and it's not their fault, but I was just very upset about the, the opportunity cost, I guess. And so when I got to college, I said, I'm never letting this happen ever again. I will take every single opportunity that I get. I'm going to say yes to everything, no matter how terrifying it is. And I will not let anyone beat me. And that's been like just a huge part of who I am. And I think that's the fuel that keeps me going. It's, you know, when I see someone else doing better than me, I think, okay, how do I get to that place? How do I beat that person? It's not, you know, it's not like a, a mean, I don't like him or her. I'm, you know, it's not like that. It's just, yeah, it's not envy. It's or not anything. envy. I'm very afraid of being behind and not reaching my full potential. And that fear is always bigger than the fear of failure. And that difference, that delta has been what keeps me going through whatever it is that I do. What would you say your next steps are? Like your next steps of growth? What do you want to do, say, five years from now? Oh, man, I have no idea. I really don't know. I think that the position that I have right now is a position that I thought I would get a couple of years from now. I definitely didn't think that it was something I was ready for at this point. But again, I don't believe in stepping stones. So I wanted it and I went after it. And so five years from now, there's probably a, a ton of positions that I have no idea even exist. So it's hard for me to get to that point. I will say that I want to keep building my network and you know the people in my life who are just as passionate and motivated as I am and who are really excited about building a better community in tech. And wherever that takes me in terms of my career is, you know, I'm open to lots of possibilities. Outside of Code Newbies, are you working on any sort of like personal projects? Is there anything that you're sort of pursuing right now? Like even if it's learning a new code base or something like that? No, not really. I get home. <laughs> I get home at around, you know, 8, 8.30 and I go to bed around 1 a.m., 2 a.m. And between 8.30 and 2 a.m. I'm working on Code Newbie. You know, I wake up on Saturdays and Sundays. I'm working on Code Newbie. So any mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's one of those things where there's so many, especially in the city, there's so many events and so many things that go on throughout the week. And I feel bad because I, I turn most of them down. But the way I look at it, it's, you know, I can spend the next four hours schmoozing with people and, and getting to, you know, hear a, a talk or whatever it is, or I can go home and help my community. And so the community mm -hmm. always wins. I got you. I was about to ask, like, what is the the tech scene really like in New York City? If it, is it busy. super vibrant? I know there's always stuff so busy. going on. Yeah. There's lots of stuff going on. And the, the great thing about the city, so as I mentioned, I work for the tech and civic engagement team at Microsoft, which has introduced me to this whole new world of civic tech, which I didn't know too much about. And mm -hmm. through you know our team, and we were based out of a co-working space in New York City called uh, Civic Hall. It's a really great co-working space for other people who are also working in civic tech. And so between our team and just the space that we work in, I'm finding out about all kinds of really fascinating groups and events and meetups and summits around, you know, journalism and tech and education and tech and, 
big data is a a huge one. And so the great thing about the city is there's not just programming in terms of languages and frameworks, but there's also very industry-specific tech meetups and groups. So there is something for everyone. I'm that same way when it comes to events. Like there's not a ton of stuff that happens here in Atlanta, or if there is, I'm not privy to most of it. A lot of it is Atlanta now, right? I do know this. I I did my research. I know. I I know. But but there's, you know, events and things like that that go on usually around technology. There's some stuff around design. But I focus a lot on like revision path and like building revision path up and what can I do to make it better and who do I need to reach out to and that kind of thing. So I feel exactly the same way you do about I can take that that energy and that time and just put it back into making Mm -hmm. this a better product for people when they when they visit it, when they come to it and things like that. Yep. Are you satisfied creatively? Do you feel like there's more that you need to do? Oh, there's always more I, I need to do. So when I applied to the program bootcamp, I went to the Flatiron School, I drew a cartoon as part of my application process. And that was my first time doing any digital drawings. You know, all my drawings before were just, you know, pen and paper. And that was my first time I forced myself to learn Illustrator and get really good at cartooning. And that's something I would love to get back into. I would love to get back into being a better digital cartoonist, for example. In my work right now with Tech Jobs Academy, I get to do some design work, but it's fairly minimal. Mm-hmm. And for the Code Newbie, the Code Newbie website, I get to do some design work as well. But again, it's it's fairly minimal. So I would love to just take a month or two off and just focus on nothing more than being a, a more creative person and being a better designer. But I don't know if that'll ever happen. <laughs> it could happen. You could find a way to, I don't know, work that in mm-hmm. somewhere. I applaud you for drawing and putting that out there. I've always been a drawer and a doodler and stuff like that, you know, when I'm taking notes or things of mm-hmm. that nature. And I have, I remember when I was a kid, because my mom would get like, um, she would get, you know, like scrap paper and stuff from her job. And I would just draw all kinds of like comic book stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I still draw a bunch of stuff now. I have never, ever, ever, ever put any of it out. On really? Why not? For anyone to see. I don't know. I just, I guess it's like this feeling, you know, I'll tell you exactly what it is. So my brother, my older brother, he's four years older than mm-hmm. me. Phenomenal artist, mm. like natural artist, painter, sculptor, woodworker, art, like oh, wow. phenomenal I, I don't know if that's what it is, if it's the whole thing of like, oh, well, he's just so good. I can't, I can't put my <laughs> stuff out there. But I, I haven't even thought about it. And one of the things that I would love to do, like one of my bucket list projects is like put out a graphic novel of some sort. Like I wouldn't draw it. I would write it. But <laughs> putting that out there because I've yeah. always had the ideas to do it. So um, I commend you for that. I totally commend you for that because I look at my drawings. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And I saw you've been able to like work that also into your presentations. Like it, yeah. it sort of tells the story. You you illustrated something. Um, it's like a not an infographic, but I guess something similar to that to get into the Flatiron mm-hmm. School. Yep, yep. That was the uh, the cartoon that I, I think I just called it, Dear Flatiron. Uh, but it was my story and how I got into tech and what made me interested in being a programmer. And yeah, I do cartoons for all of my talks. And I actually I did a couple animations. I had very big and bold ideas of how I was going to animate things. And then I actually started doing it and mapping it out. And it's, oh my God, it's so much work. (laughs) It's so much work. So I have very minimal animations, but that's another thing I would love to to get into and learn how to do well. 
See, if I start doing that and putting my my drawings out there, I'm going to say Saran taught me. <laughs> That's what I need to do. So, what is your dream project? I know that you're doing this work with Code Newbies now, but is there something bigger and better that you would, if you had the time, to really kind of sink your teeth into? If you had the resources to pull it off, what would it be? Oh my, there are two things I would love to do. One is I would love to have. It wouldn't be a co-working space. But it would be like a co-working space. You know, it would be a place where you could come. We'd have, you know, dual monitors set up everywhere. You could learn to code. You know, all the computers would have subscriptions to all the coolest online learning tools. And you could just come and meet other code newbies who are learning to code. And it would just be like a really, really wonderful, you know, vibrant, lively, super friendly physical space for people to come and learn and feel safe. And it would be open 24 hours and it would have the most amazing espresso machine. and a chocolate fountain because all co-working spaces need a chocolate fountain. So that would be my one physical space big dream. The second thing that I would love to do is, and this I I hope I get to do sometime in the future. So do you know Radiolab? Oh, yeah. Uh, Robert Krolwick and Jad Abumrock. So do you know how they do um, Radiolab Live? Yeah. I want to do that, but for like tech. I want to take these technical coding concepts like or just just themes like data or you know algorithms or whatever it is and I want to build stories around it and do a live show and I want to tour with that live show. That's what I want to do. You could do that. I think I could do that. I think I could. I think it would be You could probably you could probably get Microsoft behind that's that. That's a good that. Microsoft are you listening? You <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you work for him. You that's probably true. can. I'm That's true. But no, that a traveling code show. Yes, Hmm. like a code as entertainment. Because one of the, you know, I think we're getting better at code feeling more accessible to the general population. I think that, you know, between Tech Hire and, you know, Code.org's Hour of Code and a bunch of, you know, Khan Academy and a bunch of these other resources, I think we're getting to a point where people at least have heard of it. But I think people are still incredibly intimidated by it. And I think that if you were able to bring storytelling and theater and entertainment and kind of sneak in coding concepts and these technical concepts, I think it would mm-hmm. open up a lot of people to the more creative and empathetic and really interesting human side of technology. Because at the end of the day, that's what tech is for, right? Tech is supposed to make your life easier and more interesting and more entertaining. And so if you're able to put that on a stage and do it as a performance of some sort with really, really powerful stories and journalism, I think that you'd have something really special. Yeah, if there's anywhere that can be done, it's New York. Mm -hmm. That's true. I can't think of anywhere else that would be able to pull something off to that that kind of effect. I think of like when when there are like experimental art shows and galleries Uh and things Uh like that. I feel like it could be something to that effect. Maybe that would be a little bit more abstract, but I'm seeing the concept that you're talking about, though. Yeah. The, the code is entertainment. I could see that. Yep. Yeah. Maybe we can do a show on it at some point when that when that happens. So if you weren't a developer and I mean, because you've done so many other jobs and you've, you've worked in so many other industries, what do you think you would be doing? I think I would probably be a journalist. When I was a journalist, the the tough part for me was not having a subject or an industry or a thing to get super excited about. And so I think that, you know, like tech to me is just so, so, so fascinating and so wonderful and just has such potential to change lives and touch so many different people in many different ways that I think I would still end up gravitating towards tech. But I can see myself focusing more on the storytelling and the journalism 
and, and emphasizing that with a tech beat. So that's probably what I would end up doing. Either that or I'd be a teacher of some sort. I don't know what kind, but some type of teacher. I feel like journalism now definitely is, is intersecting a lot with technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, say, a BuzzFeed or Vox Media yep. or something like that, where they're media companies, but they're also very much tech companies as well. And they merge those two concepts together, mm-hmm. how they show news and how they display news and, and things of that nature. Yes. So who do you look up to for inspiration? Like, I know we sort of talked before about people that you've been inspired by. You mentioned uh, Vanessa Hurst, for example. Are there other people that you kind of look up to maybe as mentors or things like that? Oh, man. There's so, I feel like there's so many people I'd be setting someone if I didn't mention their name. I'll give you a couple. Actually, no, I'll give you three. So one is uh, Katrina Owen, who is, oh, my God, she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. I think I first heard about her when she did a talk. I think it was at Lone Star Ruby Conf about her journey and, and talking about you know how she learned to code. And it was such an incredible story. And she did Exorcism, which is a really great community initiative to get people to practice doing code reviews and giving feedback and really learning from each other. And for me, you know, what, what really made me respect her, you know, even more, just really made her one of my heroes is when we went to um, at Bath Ruby and we both spoke there. And I got to spend, you know, a lot of time with her just getting to know her as a person and hearing her story and just knowing how much work she puts into herself and into her craft and how seriously she takes it and how she's able to do that while still being incredibly gracious with her time and being so giving of her knowledge and expertise and so friendly to beginners. Um, To me, she's just she's an absolutely incredible person. The second person I'll name is Scott Hanselman, who is just absolutely incredible. If you don't know him, he does the Hanselman It's podcast. He does a bunch of other creative podcasting work as well. He has been such a, a great mentor from, you know, from the very beginning. Um, I think we bonded over Twitter when he, so he speaks a little bit of Amharic, which is the main language of Ethiopia. And he said something to me in Amharic on Twitter. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. So then we started, His wife is uh, Ethiopian. No, no, his wife is. She's not a, his ex-girlfriend is Ethiopian. His wife is is it from Zimbabwe? I think it's oh, Zimbabwe. Okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's another country in Africa though. And so we bonded over that. And he's been such a huge support system for me in, in building Code Newbie and just being, you know, a, a, a speaker and been really pushing me in a lot of different ways. And what I love about Scott is he's so articulate. If you've ever seen any of his talks, if you've ever seen him moderate a panel, oh my goodness, he's so good at listening and being entertaining and he's so smart and he's so nice he's so so nice and giving of his time to the um to people learning to to code and to the tech community and the third person i'm gonna name is my mom who's just the most badass woman you'll ever meet she's so (laughs) so smart and she's so hardworking. she's the one who taught me how to work as hard as i do we you know when we were growing up she worked full-time she took one course at a time doing for pre-pharmacy courses and then she went to pharmacy school she graduated with honors and she just worked so 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 hard to get to where she is and you know every time I think about how hard things are and how I don't want to you know do this and that I think about her and I say "Uh uh-uh shut up and do it and I keep going so those are my heroes well Saran just to kind of wrap things up where can our audience find out more about you online where can they follow your work where can they follow code newbies all of that where can they Look you yeah, up. sure. So you can follow me on Twitter, Saran Yitbarik, uh, first name, last name, that's my handle. And you can find out about Code Newbies 
at we have our own Twitter handle too, which is at code newbies, C-O-D-E-N-E-W-B-I-E-S. And if you go to our website, which is codenewbie.org, so C-O-D-E-N-E-W-B-I-E.org, you can find out about the podcast and the Twitter chats and the blogs and all the different stuff that we do. So definitely check it out. Sounds good. Well, Saran Yitbarik, thank you so much for taking time out of, I know your super busy schedule to do this interview. I've been wanting to do this interview for a long time and talk with you. So for me, this is sort of a good, something I can check off my list because <laughs> I did really want to speak with you. And just learning more about your journey mm-hmm. and about the work that you're doing now. And really, I mean, my, I take my hat off to you for how amazingly vibrant and active the Code Newbie community is. I know that yeah. that is not easy work at all. Mm-hmm. You make it look easy. <laughs> so kudos to you. Thank you so much. I try not to complain publicly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been it's been fun. I mean, for every moment that's like, oh, man, this is really hard. You know, every Wednesday that we do the Twitter chats and I see people engage and especially when I see people talk to people that I know they would not talk to otherwise like that to me makes it makes everything absolutely worth it. So it's been a great journey. Thoughts of love are And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Saran Yitbarik and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Saran and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code GIVETHANKS at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com and pick up those six free goods that are available for free every week. And if you see something else that you like, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps us move up in the ranks on iTunes. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month. And you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.